Hello, Texans, and welcome to the show that gets you inside NRG Stadium and gets you prepared for football season, even though it's 98 days away till the regular season. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you for Texans All Access tonight as we get you through the week. We do it every week. Hey, tomorrow we'll have plenty to talk about with OTAs firing up again this week, minicamp next week. We'll hear from an assistant coach tomorrow night to be named later, Johnny here we go. It's Monday. It's 98 days until regular season kickoff. Well, I was wondering how you got to 9. I was like, 98? How'd you do that so fast? But then I remembered you could kind of go by our countdown. The That's Texans right. Texans top 100 moments. Mm-hmm. We counted down two of them. We did 199. 100 was from the 2009 game against Seattle. I say that because we got a lot of responses oh, yes. about the 2013 game. Yes, we did. And just, but it was the 2009 game. It was the 2009 Seattle. game. It opened with a bomb to Andre Johnson, mm-hmm. and it was the first of a four-game winning streak to close yep. out that season. And yes, they did beat Seattle that day at NRG Stadium, yes. even though a lot of the fans saw that play and said, well, didn't they lose that game? A pick six to Richard Sherman and then the overtime. No, that was nope. not a loss. That was a victory. That was a victory. The one at 99, Yeah, the, I, I, don't, I, wanted to tell, I wanted to tell a story. I didn't put it in the tweet. His stat line, number 99 stat line for that day. Yeah. One receiving touchdown, mm-hmm. five tackles, three tackles for a loss, one sack, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery. And two roughing the punter flags. Yeah, in 2014 against Cleveland. You, you know what that was? All right, so that was the Cleveland game with Ryan Mallett starting his first touchdown ever. What? No, what scored against the Oakland? No, no, Raiders? Mallett's first. Oh, first Mallett, passing touchdown. That's right. Yeah, Ryan Mallett's first touch passing touchdown. Isn't that incredible? And it was to JJ Watt. How about that? What a trivia question that is, right there. I, I know when when I saw Waco in the game. I, I knew he was getting the football. When I saw him go out wide, I was like, "Yo, he's getting the ball." I just thought they would run a slant. I yeah. thought he'd run a slant, kind of box him out. Yeah, sure. I thought that would be the case. He scores. It's the first touchdown of the day, and you're like, whoa, we're off. If you remember going to that game, we were an, we were an underdog because oh, yeah. because Cleveland was playing very well at that point. They were hot. They were 6-3. They and were three. playing really well. They just come off a, a victory, last-second win against Atlanta, in Atlanta. And they beat the Bengals soundly a couple of weeks before. Yeah. In prime time, they blew them out. Yeah, and so people thought we were going there to lose, and then Watt yeah. catches that pass. My favorite thing about that day – was JJ got two roughing the roughing the punter flags? You know what those are? A heat check. Well, it he was. was so. That's the basketball equivalent of I'm going to lob these up from half court because he was so hot that day, like you pointed out, yeah. and he had a, a matchup that he loved, and he mm-hmm. kept abusing their offensive line, he and he's like, I can do this anytime I want, and I can block a punt, and he got a couple of roughing the punter penalties. The best part about that, and I was standing, I was standing near where this took place. But J.J. gets the first one. They get the ball back. And the first one didn't amount to anything. Right. The first one, didn't. I think the Browns went three and out after that. After the second one, the Browns ended up scoring. And I think it was it was, uh, the, it was the little wide receiver, Andrew Hawkins. Oh, yeah. Caught the pass for a touchdown. The best thing about that was he comes over to the sideline. And he's, st- he's standing there on the sidelines. And it's the second one. And obviously, to that point, he's been unbelievable in 2014. And he's standing there, and Ob is standing a few feet away from him. And you, I can see, I can see the wheels turning in Ob's mind. Like, I'm really, really mad about the fact that he's gotten two roughing the punter flags. 
but this guy's carried us this year. Yeah. Like I can't. Like I can see him. Like this. I can see this dilemma like going on in his mind. That's star athlete stuff right there. And, and it you, goes and on. You can't blame JJ for trying. And so Ob like walks over to him, and then he can't say anything. He walks away. He walks over to him again. Finally stops, and he just goes. Get back out there, and he like waves yeah. him back out there, and he goes out on the field and plays, and then dominates the rest of the game. And I, I just, I loved it because I've been in a situation as a coach too many times where your your star player, your big time player, the guy that's carried you, you you think about, and he does something that's not right, and you're going, okay, I know I should be mad at him for this, right? But I can't, I can't be. So what do I see? And then you kind of get caught, and then it's just like, just go play. And that's what he did. And then the rest of the game, he was, he was I mean, incredible. I it's Watts. So it was, you're not going yeah. to kill him for that. It no was, way. It was, I just thought it was such a funny instance on the sidelines that goes with that catch for that day. The fact that he his stat line – I mean, his stat line was like that throughout 2014. But that one that day to throw in the receiving touchdown and the two roughing the punter flags was pretty awesome. All right, so that was um – that was 99 days. Yes. Or, yeah, 99. 99 t- days. We're, we're doing the top 100 moments here. Then you look at what was 98, which is the YMCA opening. Houston Texans YMCA. Right. Which was, I think you said at the meeting today, it's the first NFL-sponsored YMCA. Any, any pro team. Any pro team. Yeah, first YMCA That's named after a professional team. The Texans backed it heavily. It was very important to the McNair family. And it was actually a, a YMCA that has a big role in Houston civil rights historically. This particular Y, before it was obviously the Houston Texans Y, right. was the site of many important meetings in the civil rights movement of Houston. But the Y was deteriorating, and the McNairs just picked up the cause and decided, let's let's get behind this as an organization. Right. And now it's, it's a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's gorgeous. And the the whole area is really picked up in a lot of ways and you have the light rail moving through and right. new apartments and everything like that so it's cool to be a part of that for the houston texans organization and again these are organizational moments the top 100 moments we keep counting them down because you had 100 days till kickoff starting friday saturday i saw the bears so were doing the bears were doing a top 100 now the bears have been around since 1920 they got a lot to choose from they've got yeah they got a lot to they so today had a great graphic it was really cool so what they had was they had you know kind of the X's and O's, mm-hmm. but they had like the rectangles and triangles, which you can substitute for the defense, and then they had the O's for the offense. But they said Bears all-time team, and then it flashed over to one side of the screen, and it showed Charles Tillman and Richie Pettibone and all these great Bears and Dick Buckus, and then it flashed the other side of the screen, and it showed Bill George and Doug Atkins and a few others. It was just really cool, and then you think, man, a team that's been around since 1920. Trying to figure out what your all-time defense is. Yeah, yeah. Holy you know, smokes. we don't have much film on guys from 1929, really. Red uh, Grange is one of your running backs. Walter Payton's the other one. Well, people get confused if we have a guy in a Decatur Staley's uniform Ooh. and we're showing him. Ooh. We have a guy in a Texans uniform. His name's Kiki QT. Now, the wideouts have been out there doing their thing in OTAs, and QT among them. We all saw what QT was able to do in a couple of games against the Colts. Played in six games overall. 
Brew Doherty had a chance to catch up with Kiki QT and ask him how the offseason was going, how he was progressing. It's been good, you know, just been focusing on my body and just uh, fixing everything that I need to correct, you know, just to have a healthy season this year. Yeah, what have you been doing in that regard? Just a lot of uh, soft tissue work. Not as much working out, though, so just getting everything corrected, you know, how it's probably supposed to work. I imagine there's a part of you that is frustrated with what you had to go through, but I also imagine that part of that has fueled this just you wait and see what I got. Am I a little bit right? Right, yeah, you're definitely right. You know, I missed 10 games. I only got to be able to play six. So, you know, that was a setback for me. But, you know, every time I got to play, you know, I gave everything I got. So I feel like if I have a complete 16-game season, I can do some really big things. Let's talk about where you're from. What is in the water in Lufkin, Texas? Why do they pump out so many great football players? I mean, there's you, there's Des Bryant. You go on and on and on and on and on. What's the deal with Lufkin, Texas? Oh, it's just different. You know, it's East Texas football. You know, Friday Night Lights, you know, it's, it's really real in Lufkin, you know, that East Texas area, you know. We produce a lot of great players, hard-nosed players that like to work and like to be the best they can be. How much do you take of that with you when you're on the field? Oh, that's everywhere I go in life, no matter what. I never forget where I come from and how that place is bringing me to where I am today. What motivates you? my mom you know just to see how how much she's worked for me how much she's sacrificed me through all of these years you know I just want to all give it back to her you know she's a very reason who I am today. How anxious are you to get back on the field? Uh, you know, I'm very excited, you know, just to get back and catch those balls from Deshaun, you know, just to be out there with all the guys, period, anyway. So, you know, as the time goes by, you know, build a great connection and go lead us, lead us right into the season. How fun is it when you guys are all on the field clicking? Because there, we saw that a few times when you and Will and Hopkins were out there with Deshaun and what, what was going on. Right, you know, once we get rolling, you know, I feel like nobody can stop us. You know, you have one of the best offenses in this league. So, you know, once everybody's healthy and everybody's moving like a willow machine, and we're tough to deal with. Johnny, we say it a lot, but with health, this wide receiver group is very deep. QT, obviously, a huge part of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought it was interesting. I was reading today, going through my Twitter timeline, I saw something from the Draft Network. Brad Kelly, who played receiver uh, and fo- focuses on receivers, he's doing this kind of tournament style, which pass-catching group is the best in the NFL. And so... He, I don't know why he structured it this way, but basically what he did was he took each division, and a tournament should always be one versus four, two versus three, right? Right. Well, for some reason, he put one versus two, three versus four, based on how you finished in the, in the division. I don't know why he did that. Whoa. So anyways, he matched up the Colts against the Texans, and he said the Colts have the better pass-catching group than the Texans. Mm-hmm. I was like... Hmm, wait a second. I mean, they got one at least really good one. Yeah. And, and pass I'm, catching group. So they're saying Ebron. They're throwing Ebron and Jack Doyle in the mix, too. Right. Now, I'll give you the fact that the Colts' tight ends are very good with, with yeah. Doyle and Ebron. I'll, I'll give you that. But he said this matchup comes down to Indianapolis' strengths around their wide receivers. Huh? The strengths are on the tight ends. Both tight ends are talented, as are running backs. Adding them to the Indianapolis one two punch of wide receiver T.Y. Hilton. And Paris Campbell, who's never played. Oh, they, He's never you're played. You're not allowed to do that with rookies. He's never played. He said it's hard to pick against wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, but Texans don't have the surrounding talent at other positions that Indianapolis does. I'm telling you, there's not a receiver I'm taking on Indianapolis' side. Not a pass catcher, not a wide receiver I'm taking over Will Fuller. I'm not. Wow. I'm not. Now, but Will's got to stay, stay healthy, obviously. Yeah. So if you look at it from that perspective, Hopkins or Hilton, of course, I'm taking Hopkins. Mm-hmm. You know, some will take Hilton just because he's speedier. But I'm taking Hopkins all day, every day. Number two, you're taking Will Fuller or Devin Funches. 
Yeah, thank you, Will Fuller. You taking Kiki QT or Chester Rogers? I mean, after that, it's forget about it. Yeah, now Texans you, all the way. Now, which one do you want? Paris Campbell versus Will Fuller? Like, how do you want? Like, granted, I'm not telling you that the Indianapolis Colts wide receivers are not going to be are not going to be good. But we have that to see what Campbell good. is. You got to see what Campbell's going to become before right. you make that declaration. Right. We don't even know what Campbell's going to be. And even if Campbell's really good, Fuller's really good too. Right. It's the health thing. He's got to stay on the field. Right. right. But QT. Just just scratching the surface. Right. So you do have some things going for you here that a lot of people are not giving credit to. I, I get the tight end situation. Ebron went to the Pro Bowl. Okay. Right. I, and Doyle's you know, excellent. I, I, if, you, if he would have said, I'm giving this to the Colts based on the tight ends, I would have said, Good. I see it. But, but you, have a he- hat. you have a health concern here, too, though, because Jack Doyle can't stay on the True. field lately. And Ebron's only done it for one year. Yeah. I mean, give him credit. That was a hell of a year. It was a great he was year. A big problem for the Texans and all the teams. So, uh, that the Texans could really use him to take a big step back. <laughs> How about that for a statement? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a segment. Players I want to see take a giant step backward. Okay, Tom Brady. Thank you. Good yeah. night, everybody. Oh yeah, you need that one. Andrew Luck. That's the other one. Yeah, I, I when I saw that, and he, and he you know picked the Colts over. I was like, mm. Man, if you want to go with the, t- the the tight ends being the difference right now, mm-hmm. because I think the Texans tight ends are still you know look Aikens and Thomas going into year two, Kyle Warren's a rookie you don't know Doyle and Ebron have at least proved it. I, okay, I'll give you that, but you're gonna sit there and tell me that Hilton, Funches, Paris Campbell, Chester Rogers, you're gonna take that group over Hopkins, Fuller, QT, fully healthy? No way. Because the way you got to look at these things, they're fully healthy. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. And I think what that goes to. What it goes to show is the fact that Will Fuller is criminally underrated, but probably, properly so, because he just hasn't played enough games. Yeah. He hasn't played enough games, and he especially hasn't played enough games with Sean Watson. So from that perspective, he just hasn't had that opportunity. If he has that game on Monday night, on a Thursday night against Miami, and he doesn't get hurt at the end, I think we're talking about a first of all, we're talking about a whole different season. I think yeah, you have Will in there. I mean, the season was still cruising along pretty nicely after that game, right. despite no Will Fuller. Right, but if you end up having him after that game, where he's catching a seventy-three yard touchdown, Hops catching a fifty-yard touchdown in large part because of Will, I think you're talking about this team a totally different way. And I felt it. I watched that. I watched the coverage after Thursday night's game, and I heard what people were saying. I heard what NFL Network was saying. I read what what national writers were saying. Look out for these Texans, and then the next morning we find out Will's got the ACL, and then it was kind of it was kind of quiet at that point. Oh, it's such bad news. I don't want to relive that. I know I don't either, but I just thought it was interesting to think Colts over Texans. Now the other matchup, he said Titans over Jaguars. I mean, that's I don't know. That's like picking a, a Yugo against the Fiat, I guess. I mean, well, is no that real... is that recency bias too? Because Maybe. the Titans very solid. Jags are very shaky very as far shaky. as culture, things like that. It just doesn't look good from the outside looking in. Hey, I said I don't want to relive certain things about last year. Let's yeah. relive some Monday Night Football stuff though because the Ooh, Texans yeah. will open the 50th season of Monday Night Football. Who was the announcer in game one of this TV series? Yeah, you'll hear him. And we'll talk about some of the Monday Night memories. Also, Johnny with some rule change suggestions that we need to get to in the program as well on Texans All Access. And away we go with the Monday Night Football memories here since it's Monday night and since the Texans open up the 50th season of Monday Night Football and the 100th season of the NFL. Look, it's the offseason. We're talking about some of this stuff. 
John Harris joins us, as always, on Texans All Access here from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Okay, Johnny, the first Monday night game featured who? Jets and Browns. Jets and Browns, and they'll play Week 2 this year. Yeah, they're playing Week 2. I want to say they didn't put it Week 1, obviously, because we're playing, but they have have that doubleheader on the first week. But I think they tried to match up the dates the best they could. And mm-hmm. the date, I think, was the 21st of the original, 1970. They just didn't want that opening game to be part of a doubleheader. Right. That, that commemorative game to be right. part of a doubleheader, just like the Texans game is. And I'm all right with being the doubleheader participant this year, as opposed to 2013, when the Texans were the late game oh. playing on the West Coast. Now oh. you're playing in New Orleans at 6 p.m. You'll be in your jammies by midnight. At least I will. That's my plan. That's my game plan. Well, hopefully we're in jammies on a plane, because that means we will have won. That would, would be, be yeah, kinda, which would be yeah. kind of nice. Sweats on the plane, yeah. Sweats on the plane would be very, very cool to start off the year, especially after that one. But yeah, Jets Browns that first game, and they'll have so it'll be week two that they'll be playing Jets Browns Cleveland in the first five weeks. My math is correct. First five weeks of the year, Cleveland has three primetime games. And, and see, this is this is the first big, five weeks. This has disaster written all over it for them. So Not I, being used to the primetime thing, although they mm-hmm. did get that win over the Jets last year in their first yep. win in 100 years or whatever. Thursday night game. But, you know, back in the day, Cleveland at Municipal Stadium, it was awesome. And was. the very first Monday night game, let's see if you recognize the announcer's voice. From Municipal Stadium oh. in Cleveland, Ohio, the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns. Oh, I love Keith Jackson. Yep. I you, mean, you that, knew I knew that. You didn't even, from municipal stadium. You didn't even give me a chance to answer. Him. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Get, if I have, it was obvious. If I have a regret in my life, mm-hmm. it's that I never met him or never interviewed him. Gosh, I don't think I ever. Mm, I did meet him. Rose Bowl. Yeah, I didn't meet him then. You know no. when I met him? I want to say he did the kickoff classic in 1999 yeah, at yeah. the Meadowlands, yep. and I met him there. I know I That's met right. him someplace. That's right. When I was with the Hurricanes. Uh, because I met Dan Fouts. He worked with Fouts, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I met Dan Fouts then, and that was the guy who really got me starstruck. Sorry, Johnny. More yeah, than I Keith know. Jackson at the time. Yep. And also, in that game, in that very first Monday Night Football game, Joe Namath, who threw more interceptions than touchdowns in his career, throws a big one late in the game. And here's Jackson's call. 47 seconds to play. The Browns lead 24-21. to 21. Before more than 85,000 people, Snydo almost gets Namath. The pass is intercepted. It is intercepted by number 52, Billy Andrews. Touchdown and no penalty flags on the field. All right. Keith Jackson with the call, although he does make a play-by-play man mistake right there. What is it, Johnny? I kind of got lost in what happened. Well, it, it, first of all, it's a TV call, so everything's forgivable that right. way. If it was a radio call. He didn't call the play. Right. But at TV, it's fine. But he says the number of the player. You really don't need to do that. Yeah, Especially on television, but yeah, you never do it on radio either, oh, unless it's point. like unless it's like good old number eighty, you know, if it's sort of a term of endearment. Right, right, right. Yeah, but you really don't say it because it sounds like I forgot who that guy is, and I'm going to look it up right now. That's one of uh, I don't want to say one of my favorite images, but that's sort of I don't want to say an iconic image either. But when Namath throws that touch or that pick six, yeah, there's a shot of him, and he just he always, he had this kind of slouch in his back, anyways. And he just has got his head down. He's just slouching. He's oh yeah, standing. It's one of the great. I just images. saw it today. So when yeah. I was when I was loading that up to the um, to the mainframe here. I the, did I say mainframe? To yeah. The, yeah, the main. Close we have enough. a gigantic computer that takes up half. No, we don't really. Yeah, boy, that would be kind of nice. Put everything on there, but to be able to, to kick off the fiftieth year of Monday Night Football. I mean, if you th- think about it, 
if you're if you're under if you're forty or under, you've grown up with Monday Night Football just as you have the internet. Like you've yeah. known a life with the internet. Whereas, well, you know, if you're, you're super older. young, like like the Vander Kid, you don't right. even know that Monday Night Football was this was this iconic kind of show. Yeah. Like when you heard this, and they didn't play it a lot. Like now you hear it on ESPN and the promos or versions of it. But back in the day, you had to wait until Monday night to hear this. And when you did, it was on. I mean, the hair stood up on the back of your neck. It still and does. Frank I Gifford. I mean, I, it's Frank Gifford, say what you will. He was a good play-by-play guy. And a lot of these older guys, by the way, when I was listening to some of those Keith Jackson highlights, play-by-play has certainly evolved and, and in many ways has gotten better, although well, I think some of the voices have deteriorated. Keith got better, too. Keith, yeah. that, he was only there for one year. Right. He did it that first year, yep. and then he went to he went over to college football just before he was known as the and, voice of college football. And became this grand voice for the game of college yeah. football, and then Gifford stepped in, and then it became Gifford, Cosell, and Meredith, and then it it became a traveling sideshow. Monday Night Football was so new, and that group, and I, and I think Monday Night Football has always tried to find another group. That could, the, the announcing group became part of the show. Yeah, they they have it, and, and they it, just have not been able to ever find that again. This is it's timely because so the the Peter King story came out. Well, Fred Godelli, who's you know produced Monday Night Football yeah, since yeah. the beginning beginning of time almost, uh, he talked about Dennis Miller and trying to save Dennis Miller, which was a disaster, really. Yeah, Tony Kornheiser disaster. Yeah. You know, you just can't automatically think that that chemistry is going to happen. Right. Uh, especially when it's a guy who just does not know the game. Dennis Miller, I'll never forget, his first night in the booth was the Hall of Fame game in Canton, and he's talking about the fact that he's never been in a press box before. Yeah. That's a problem to me, yeah. that you have a guy doing Monday Night Football who's never been in a press box. Texans Monday Night Games, look, last year the victory over the Titans was just such a memory. It was an Incredible. emotional night after the passing of Mr. McNair, and maybe that goes down in history as the best one. I, I Still, to me, just from a pure football stance, I think that the one against the Bengals in 2015, that one will always ring yeah. as the all-time biggest Monday night win for the Texans, especially considering everything on the line and they were playing an 8-0 Bengals team. You know, we we talk about that one a lot. I think it's just a special memory yeah, for this I think franchise. Yeah, definitely. The fact that it happened on Monday Night Football, and we were, Drew and I were talking about that on the In the Lab podcast the other day. One of the things I didn't talk about was I was in the press box doing – a uh, a chat beforehand, and I heard Brumer Sison was doing the game for Westwood One. Yeah, and it's in Cincinnati, and I could see him from the image. I'm looking out to the field, but the glass, I could see him behind. He's talking to a couple of guys, and one of the guys says to him, "Yeah, you know, the Bengals should just roll through this thing. I mean, they should be nine. Boomer's like, yeah, they're going to crush this team tonight. And I was Ooh. like, Ooh, okay, here we go. All right, we'll see. And, and so even the- Boomer, a former player. Should know better. Doesn't get it sometimes. Should I think the better. more time you spend away from the game and out of, outside of buildings where the game is played and around the people, yep. as much as you, you used to be, you lose that sense of anything's possible. Anything. And it was that night. And so many things <laughs> happened in that game that uh, to think it happened on a Monday night, I mean, that was, that was incredible. Well, last year's Monday night game, when they get the stop on Luke Stocker on fourth and one, and the very next play, and I just remember down on the sidelines thinking, when it was fourth and one, I remember thinking, man, where's Justin Reed with that pick six right now? 
And we got the next best thing, which was two plays mm-hmm. to go the other direction. And, and that the NFL, over the weekend, the NFL posted a video of Lamar's two 97-yard runs. One, I think, was against the Jets when he was with Miami, and then they showed the one with, uh, with us last year against the Titans. And just reliving that moment, seeing him go down the field, and, oh, my gosh, they're going to go 97 yards and score. And just looking around the stands and then matching your call with it, you know, that one's for you, Bob. It was like – it was just – it was perfect. And it was – I just remember being in the locker room afterwards. There was so much joy after what had been a really, really hard weekend because of Mr. McNair's passing. It was just incredible. And the fact that it got to be on Monday night against that team mm-hmm. in our building was really cool. I forgot – or I haven't forgotten – but I needed to be reminded of the stop on fourth down because that made that moment in the moment that much more special. You know, now we look back on it, you only see that run, but you forget that Titans are about to take it in. Mm -hmm. They're about to score, and you stop them, boom, right there, and you get the ball at the three, and you're scoring a play later. Phenomenal. One of the best things about that play, Luke Stocker is a 250-pound tight end. Mm -hmm. When Zach hits him, Stocker, it's like hitting a wall. He literally hit a wall. Like, his momentum, he's kind of down like this, and then he hits a wall. And it's not as if Stocker goes anywhere. He just doesn't go any further. Right. I mean, it literally is like he hit a wall and just – and then here comes BMAC, and they finished him off. And it was just amazing to see Stocker have this momentum and just stop it. And Zach just stoned him. It was the one thing that people didn't think Zach could do coming to the NFL, that he would have enough size to be able to do that. Boy, he stoned him, right? That was such a great play. Let's order some more of that, please. All right, next up, gut reaction to a bunch of rule change possibilities and other stuff, right? Yes, and how about this? The 2020 College Football Hall of Fame has come out, and a few of these guys you know from your days in Miami. I want to get your thoughts on. All right, let's do that next on Texans Radio. We're right across the hall from the locker room at NRG Stadium in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Time for Gut Reaction Monday. All right, so, Johnny, what do you got for me? Okay, so I've been thinking about these. I want to get your gut reaction. I am taking over as football rules czar for the NFL. Okay, I'm glad I know you. Here's my first suggestion. What do you got? Any fumble recovered by the offense, goes back to the original spot of the fumble. Original spot of the fumble. I call call it the Russell Wilson, Jadeveon Clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I'm uh, I'm Lamar Miller. I fumble. I'm running. You're running. 30, 25, 20. I fumble at the 20. It's recovered by the offense at the 13, but it's got to go back to the 20. It goes back to the 20. I'm fine with that. And that includes... That includes any Touchdowns. fumble that goes through the end zone. Yep. Oh, through the end zone. If it goes through the end zone, which is a touchback, it doesn't matter. Where was it fumbled? It was fumbled at the well, one. Well, hang on a second. If it if I fumble a ball through the end zone, does it go back to me or to the defense? Because nobody another... recovers it. It goes back to the offense. Nobody. All right. So you don't like that. That mm-hmm. no one recovered it. So you should not have to give up the ball. Correct. I kind of like that. And it goes back to the spot. And here's, here's my Because on the sideline, it doesn't matter, right? Right, exactly. You get to keep the ball. Right. So why does that change? It's because you're at the, at the goal line. Here's my inspiration. Remember the game against Seattle in 2017? Yeah. It's third down, and Jadeveon Clowney forced a fumble. At right. the time, we thought it was a complete pass. He forced a fumble, and the ball goes forward 15 yards. Yeah. 
and Luke Wilson happened to be there, and he just fell on it. And they got the yardage. And they got the yardage, which allowed them, after a replay, because Pete Carroll replayed it, they got the yardage, which I don't think was enough for a first down. But they were – oh, no, no, no. Yeah, they got him, it got them a first down. They went on and scored a touchdown. Right, they were so, going to kick a so, field goal. Yeah, I do remember this now. Every fumble – It would have been in the Texan, to the Texans' benefit to have it be an incomplete pass, obviously, because the Seahawks well, recovered the thrumble sort of thing. Right. right? But if it goes back to the spot of the fumble, it's yeah. as good as a sack, which it should be. Yeah, ooh. Which it should be. Yeah. It yeah, should be. it's a strip sack. Right, it's a strip sack. Even though it went forward. Right, even though it goes – Especially that it goes forward. Okay, so the offense recovered. They get to keep it, but it's at the spot of the fumble. The I'm offense good. cannot benefit. The offense cannot benefit. I'm good. By the way, side note, by the way, that Brock thrumble in Denver oh, in God. 2016 was not a fumble. No. I'll go to my grave saying that. And my bit of proof there was, I know, don't get me started. Johnny's laughing at me. because <laughs> no, no, not you. I'm just thinking of who ever could throw, who could ever throw a fumble. It I was, mean, I, I, when I saw it uh, live, it was like, all right, it's incomplete. And then did they, they reviewed it, right? They, or reviewed something. It. they threw the flag. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, is this going to go against us as a thrumble? It's, yes. And it did. And it did. But my beef there was if a receiver had caught that ball, it would have been ruled a completed pass. So okay. why wouldn't it be an incomplete pass? That's all I have to exactly. say about that. All right. Okay. Next up. rules are. Okay. Okay. Targeting or a hit on a defenseless receiver. Okay. We'll move to the college rule where Which you is are what? ejected. We have to... Oh. All right. Well, all right. But the, how are we going to determine this? Are we going to stop the game? Who's stopping the game? Is an official upstairs stopping the game? The ref on the field stopping the game? And then we're going to look at it for a half hour and then have Congress vote on it. And then I've aged and... You know, I get three paychecks later, and all of a sudden we have a decision. How okay. are you going to do this? All right, good. I want college to take what the NFL does, which is which is you, you don't get ejected. It's a fifteen yard penalty, but if you get two, if you get two of them, then you you get okay. tossed. Yeah, I think college is way too. Now it's it's one of those things where I know it when I see it. You yeah. know what I mean? Too often these college players are getting ejected for reasons that you know they should. Well, Devin White got ejected the week before the Alabama game. And in the second half, which meant he had to miss the first half of the Alabama game. Yeah, this is also It was stupid. ridiculous. So yeah. rules are, I would say, if the, the NFL is the one that does it right, right, I think I would tell college, look, guys shouldn't be ejected for that. They sh- if, if it's flagrant, if you assess it as flagrant, fine. But if it's a, a targeting, not just a run-of-the-mill targeting foul, but if it's a targeting foul that's not flagrant, 15 yards, second one, then you're ejected if you want to do that. But – just this whole ejection after one hit that I've, I'm telling you, the hits that I saw last year, the players got ejected for targeting in college football were just, I mean, almost asinine. But I think the, the NFL actually has it right. Uh, okay, got reaction. Mm-hmm. The 2020 College Football Hall of Fame ballot has come out. Okay. There are no Texans on here. No Houston Texans, former or past. I was a little surprised. So, wait a that. minute. No Andre Johnson. No Andre Johnson in here. No uh, no Ron Dane. I think Ron Dane's already in. But but nobody that plays for the Texans. Well, you couldn't be playing for the Texans now, but no past Texans or anybody with a connection that way. What, when's Watson eligible? Once he retires from the NFL. 
Okay. So college football, the college football, college football Hall of Fame rules, you have to be first team All-America by some organization. You have to be 10 years after your final year of collegiate football is played. You uh, then have to be out of the NFL. You have to be done playing the game. So that, that does limit who you're going to have at that point. But I wanted to get your thoughts because one of the first names that pops up because it's an alphabetical order was Jerome Brown, the University of Miami. Right. Jerome Brown is not in a college football hall of fame. That's crazy. I mean, it's nuts. Wait, what about Ed Reed? He's not. I, I want to say that he's in. But no, he just retired, so maybe, maybe no, not. No, no, but he's in the uh, you know Pro Football Hall of Fame. Right. So no, he's selected. Okay, good. Uh, Ed Reed selected yeah, yeah, he's the College a, Football Hall of Fame. He's Thank a, goodness for that. I think the thing about these Miami Hurricanes is that the numbers are not that crazy for some of the guys. You know what right. I mean? The ball was spread around. You had a lot of targets. You had a lot of production from a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the numbers might be as great as they could have been for some of the guys. You know, to me, Andre Johnson should be in the College Football Hall of Fame. This yes. is no, there's a no doubt about an element to this. Uh, he won a national championship game. He won his team won a national championship game where he was the MVP with 199 receiving yards. All right, against Nebraska, which had a good defense at the time. <sighs> And, he just abused those corners, man. Yeah, he did. And I mean, just destroyed the them. The following year, they go back to the national championship game, and they lose on a controversial call, whatever they lost. He belongs in. But Dre was never a first-team All-American, correct? Yeah. I mean, that, I, I'm just – I agree with you. I, yeah. I think that's the problem with the College Football Hall of Fame, especially Charles as it Rogers. to the University of Miami. You've got this backlog of players, and if you only take one from each school, here are the three Miami players. One of them that you called, and I want to get your thoughts on him because okay. I, I think he was is criminally underrated. But Jerome Brown I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Also, Ray Lewis is up for induction. Okay. Dan Morgan, linebacker. Yeah. Left early. All right. Went to the Panthers. He was really good. You know, he. it's funny, Johnny, having been there – in 1999, they had Dan Morgan and Nate Webster playing linebacker oh. for them. And Nate was really good. Yeah, and Nate, Nate good. filed the paperwork to leave, and then he didn't want to go, and then he had to go because the paperwork was in, yeah. but he changed his mind, and he faxed it in. I, I can't remember all the details, but there was some controversy there. Uh, he was MVP of the Gator Bowl that the Canes won against Georgia Tech. Bill O'Brien was on that staff. Yep. Uh, New Year's Day 2000. Nate was amazing. Morgan was amazing. He was the first guy I ever interviewed when I went down there. Uh, he was a great player. Uh, you know, it's hard for me to say. It's hard for me to say. The College Football Hall of Fame is weird. It is. I think if you win a Heisman, you're automatically in. All right? There were no Heisman winners on my Hurricane teams. So, I, I don't know. It, it's Like I said, it, it, the wealth is so spread around with that bunch. I mean, Ed Reed's an obvious one because he was such a leader. Yeah that you had to put him in. I mean, he really was the leader of that team, even more so than, say, a Ken Dorsey. Who's the all-time Hurricanes tackle leader? It's Dan Morgan. 532 tackles, started a school record 45 games, Big East Defensive Player of the Year in 2000, three-time first-team All-Big East, 2000, unanimous first-team All-American, first player ever. To sweep the Butkus, Benaric, and Nagurski awards in one season. Yeah, he was pretty good. 
It's funny because young people listening now would say, Big East has football? Yeah, Big East has football. They did? They had it? <laughs> they had football? And Miami was there? Yes, they were. Yes, they were. Who was I talking to about this recently? And I said, you know, the one thing about being in the Big East at Miami was the basketball team and how hated they were playing in those Big East traditional power gyms. Yes. Like going, going to Providence and getting off the bus at UConn and Syracuse. You were like this interloper. It just came oh. in like, We'll take you, you for football. We want the football money, but we hate you in basketball. And then beating those guys, there was it was such a great feeling to beat those traditional powers in that sport on their turf. I freaking loved it. It was great. All right. So this, mm-hmm. got a reaction to this. Okay. This was tweeted this morning. By Mike Florio. All right. Roger Goodell was at Jim Kelly's golf tournament in Buffalo. And he spoke to the media afterwards. And I didn't see his exact words. But I saw this tweet from Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk. Your gut reaction to this, and I quote, The drums are getting louder, Buffalo. And the message from the league is clear. Pay for all or part of a new stadium. Or else the Bills eventually will move. Goodell? Your gut reaction. That's hey, from Florio. That's from Florio. Basing what that quote off of what Goodell said today in Buffalo for Jim Kelly's golf tournament. Well, they do need a new stadium. You know that. You've been there. We I do like going. Stadium, I know. I, I love well, that stadium. We like places, and the reasons why we like them are not the reasons why know. you know, know a lot of people feel like they need new stadiums. So the Bills definitely need a new stadium, and it's going to be hard to fund. It's New York State. Guess who didn't get stadiums constructed in New York State? The New York Giants and the New York Jets, right? right? And the Bills don't have New Jersey to pay the freight. It's a little far away. So they have Canada. So what else do they have? Pennsylvania? That's not going to work either, right? Right. So they got a bad situation there. It's a real troubling one, and it's not exactly a huge market either. The only other pro sport they have at that level, at that level, at a major league <laughs> level, if you will, is yeah. the Sabres. And obviously, they're a very well-liked bunch. By the way, in basketball, you know, Philly has the big five. Yeah. You know what they have in Buffalo? The big four. Canisius. Yeah. Buffalo. Mm-hmm. St. Bonaventure. Mm-hmm. And, oh, Calvin Murphy hates you right oh, now. Oh, Niagara. Yes. Oh, wow. See? Yeah. They got the big four. I got three of the four. That's not bad. They got the big four in Buffalo, Johnny. That's that's not that's not they, bad. They need new digs. They really do. I, I agree. It's I agree. a great franchise. You know, the fan base is terrific. Bill's Mafia, look, it's a little different. <laughs> they march to the beat of a different drum. But you have to love the passion. They're a totally passionate fan base, and they need a new home. And they, these places are ridiculously expensive. And it's up to smarter people than me to figure out how to get them built. Terry Pagula was asked about that, and he said, you know, look, they've got a, you know, what Stan Kroenke's doing in L.A. is just unbelievable. You got Jerry's place in in uh, Arlington. Maybe we can't build something like that, but we can get it done. I don't think the I don't think the Bills are going to move anywhere. But you don't have to. I thought it was interesting because I saw that tweet without context, and I was like, okay, what what ant hill is is Florio kicking over at this point? This is a do as I say, not as I want situation. Like I would want an indoor stadium if I'm in Buffalo living mm-hmm. there. I'm saying don't do it because it's the Bills. It's yeah. Buffalo. It's like putting Lambeau Field indoors. Oh. Build a nice outdoor stadium with just enough suites or whatever. And by the way, some of the suite models and the way stadiums make revenue, some of that stuff is changing. You know, going to more club-level stuff. Look right. at Miami as right. an example. Exactly. You know, I, I know that our fans, many listeners right now, have not been in that stadium since they redid it. 
but they have a lot of club area seating, and that way you can sort of price things differently according to the crowd that you know can afford different types of things in stadiums. The models are changing everywhere because it's getting tougher, or the economics yep. change over time as far as uh, as what's lucrative and what's uh, really feasible, what's usable for the fans. Staying with Goodell, he was at Jim Kelly's charity golf tournament outside Buffalo, as I mentioned. Yep. He also repeated his stance on a desire to reduce the current four-game preseason schedule. Goodell told reporters the league should strive to accomplish tasks at a high level, and I'm not sure preseason games meet that level right now. Your gut reaction? Uh, He said this a few years ago. Uh, Remember about four or five years ago, he said, I don't think the product is up to snuff or up to our standards. I'm paraphrasing, but it was was pretty direct. It was was almost that direct. So he says this every once in a while. I don't know how the owners feel about it because it's their wallets, right? It's Mm -hmm. their money. It's their home stadium revenue that you're talking about. So if you're going to get rid of a preseason game or two or the whole thing, however you change it, you're going to have to find a way to replace that revenue. I don't know what way that is. We talked about 18 games or yeah. 17 games last week. We talked about adding another week to the schedule and having a double buy, and that way you get more national television revenue, and that pays for it. But, you know, they're looking at that saying, well, that's going to pay for it, but why don't I just keep the games, and then I all of a sudden I still have uh, or I have a whole lot more money. So I don't know how they're going to put that whole thing together. I think eventually we'll see a reduction. Look, it used to be six. It used to be six. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Six I mean, it's like half games. a season you're playing oh, preseason man. games. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. I don't think we're going to see that uh, reduced to, I don't know. I, I still think you'll get two. At the very least, you'll have two preseason games. I once asked Butch Davis this question because he had coached in the NFL, right? And yeah. The Browns and before that, the Cowboys. He said two would do it. As a coach, you feel like two is pretty good. The coaches still want something. They definitely right. do. Right. Because there's just something about the game. It's not just, well, I get great work in these joint practices. That's dynamite. But the game, the choreography of the game, the the moving in and out of stations and all that, the, you know, getting the field goal team, there's something about just going through that whole exercise that helps them get ready for the regular season. Yeah, when you haven't done that for months, yeah. to just go through that a few times. Yeah. Look at college. Some of these early games are a little clunky. Yeah, you know? very much so. so. All right, thank you, Johnny. You got it, Mark. On the way out here, quick note. You know, I saw Hamilton over the weekend. I was in Austin, and it was unbelievable. It was so good. You've heard all about it, and I know it's hard to see. It was my first time seeing it, and I've talked to friends who have seen it a couple of times. I'm thinking, how? But it just brought to mind how wonderful sports is as entertainment. I mean, I love other kinds of entertainment, TV, movies, shows, whatever. And I said this to a bunch of people this morning. I said, you know, when you're doing shows, when you're doing a Broadway show that you know is good, you're undefeated every night. You're undefeated every night. You win every night. It's 1-0 every night when you're doing a concert. You, too, undefeated every night with sports there's so much on the line. It's unscripted entertainment. I love it. That's the thing. I could do a whole show on this, a whole podcast on that. Go to our podcast page on HoustonTexans.com or iTunes or whatever to catch up with what is going on with your Texans and talk to us tomorrow night or listen to us even better. 6 o'clock, Sports Radio 610, Texans app. Thanks for listening, everyone. Go Texans.